But there are no small number of Canadians who've been in Ukraine trying to do what they can to help those in need. And one of them is Chilliwack's Chad Martz. He's Chad Martz, rather. He's director of operations for the charity Hungry for Life. Uh, he's been based in Western Ukraine for months now. We first spoke to Chad back on March 10th. Now, keep in mind, this was a time when the war was raging. People were fleeing the violence. Um, and as wave, of wave after wave of people fled, and the number of those who needed help of organizations such as his became just astounding. Uh, he spoke to us about that. Here's part of our conversation that night, March 11th. You're finding people having to make really hard decisions. Some just can't, and their families need to stay with them, even though it could, you know, very well mean certain death. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's it's very complicated. It's very desperate, um, and I I, it, I I I don't know if I can articulate that enough. It's it's um, you know it's day by day here, but each day that passes, it's more and more desperate for those people who have not been able to get out of those areas. Chad Martz speaking to me back on March the 11th. Of course, you can find on our podcast, the A Little More Conversation podcast, any interview you may have missed, including Chad back on March 11th, you can find it on our podcast site. Well, we wanted to contact, I wanted to see what Chad was up to, what what had happened since we last spoke a few months ago uh, in terms of just the need, the kind of work that he's been doing. And it turns out that he's finally been able to make it back home for a quick visit. So for the first time, uh, I get to welcome Chad Martz, Director of Operations for Hungry for Life International, from right here in British Columbia. Welcome home. Thanks for your time. Yeah, it feels like it's a lifetime ago that we last chatted, but uh, thanks for welcoming me back. Yeah. So so what's it been like since we last? I mean, obviously, March was right at the height of things, and it was just, you know, I remember you were just working nonstop to try and do what you could. Uh, how have things evolved since uh, since then? What's What's life in Western Ukraine like, and what's your work been like? Yeah, I mean it's it's changed since the the very beginning in terms of the amount of workload. It's it's very much the the same. Um, the the beginning part, obviously, with the amount of refugees that were were coming out our way, it, uh, it was very intense. And then obviously we didn't know how far Russia was going to invade into the country, and so that was always a. Uh, a huge portion of, uh, I guess, our time always watching this and always taking care of the, the needs that uh, were right in front of us. But as the uh, less and less refugees were coming and already making into Europe uh, and we weren't as focused on caring for those who were coming out our way, we could then um, start uh, putting our resources into providing food and supplies into closer to like the, the conflict zones. Uh, and so that was a bit of a transition. We still needed to, to care for those because there's so many who weren't able to, to leave the, the, the country uh, and still were fleeing because the, the war continues to evolve. It, it doesn't, there's not like a general standstill because some communities get taken over, some provinces are requested and required to, to leave. And so you still have refugees that are still coming out way. It's just not as many as what it was in the beginning. But we've been focusing more of our efforts, which I just returned um, a week ago from being closer to the, well, in the conflict zones and, and near the front lines in multiple areas of the of the country. Yeah, because there's, of course, you know, we often talk about those who've left the country, but internally there are many more people displaced than there were than there are who have left the country. So you've been dealing with that as well. How is it, how is it now? I mean, where is the need? And uh, and it must be. I mean, it's obviously dangerous work when you're moving towards the front lines, but that's where the need is, right? You're talking about people who either can't or who can't who can't get away from from 
can't get out of the line of fire. Yeah, I mean, to address the, the first one, there's there's a huge amount of internally dis- displaced people. So we were even in an area that's uh, in a province that's in an active conflict area, and they're a small community of 1,500 people, but yet they have 1,500 displaced people within their community. How do they, as a small community, provide for them? And so we, we've continued to partner. That's why we've had over 950 tons of food go out since the beginning of the, the war and over 500 deliveries to different parts. So we are still addressing the needs as they evolve in the country. But then going out into the conflict zones, it's still the same. You still have communities that are, like when we were just there a week ago, that have finally been open to be able to go into because that's where the active fighting has been. And nobody's been able to get in there. But because the military has been able to push Russia back to a certain point, you can actually get in and provide food for people. And so you're still having the same thing that was happening in the beginning. Uh, it's still there. It's just because it continues to change all the time. And so we're, we're always looking at trying to get to, uh, to people and support people. And, and not, not just that, but we, I mean, this has been six months. We've, we, we've been partnering with so many amazing, amazing people since the beginning and they've stayed in these areas that are constantly being shelled daily they're risking their life and so we we felt there's such a need to continue to support them to go where they are to stay where they are to go and be a part of a distribution to encourage people and to encourage them i mean we were even just with 20 to 25 year olds that there's eight of them that they chose to stay and they chose to stay because they cared so much for the people and they're risking their life every single day and so that's more of what we are doing now is getting into and encouraging those who have been under this massive bombardment day in and day out to help support people who are in either conflict zones or recently liberated zones. So that's more of where our attention is now. I mean, that is difficult work. I mean, first of all, for, for listeners, I know we've repeated this many, many times. Ukraine is a huge country. Uh, getting from point A to point B is, is, can be difficult at the quietest of times, let alone now, the challenges you must face just trying to get these supplies in and out of those areas. Yeah, I mean, with that, that's where more of like, uh, because of the organization I work for that we've worked in Ukraine for such a long time, like almost 20 years, we have such a vast network. We are able to get supplies into those areas because we've already had this large, large network. So yes, all the all the the food that we had uh, purchased all actually comes from within the country, because such a, a huge part of it is those who don't have jobs anymore. So for us to invest two two point five million dollars within the country to purchase the food supplies at rates that are very beneficial to us to maximize um, our return on the investment, it's it's so important. It's like a, a double. Uh, it's, it's like twofold. You're, you're supporting jobs within the country and also providing the food to, to people within it. And so, yes, it is difficult, but that's why we're not relying on bringing people from the outside. We're relying on people who have lived and breathed and worked with people in those communities. They know where to go, how to get to there. They know the roads to take. Those are the same ones that we were taking. So we saw it, and I've seen it for myself over the last two months. And so, yeah, there is difficulties, but that's why you utilize those who are within the country who have the passion, who have the motivation and knowledge on how to to get into to minimize the risk for yourself, even to go in and out of those areas. And it strikes me that one of the reasons that Ukraine has been able to be so resilient in the face of this 
war machine that is Russia is exactly for those reasons. It's it's a resourcefulness that exists, this idea that everyone pitches in and and everyone is doing what they can to help. Yeah, this this is I, I've never seen or experienced something like that where it is the entire country doing what they can to support the military. So it's whether it's it's women groups trying to raise funds for um, bulletproof vests for for uh, their husbands that are going off to war to whether it's um, trying to to donate a vehicle so people can go in and try to evacuate uh, those trapped in conflict zones that need to get out to providing food to those who are on block posts that have left their jobs. I mean, it's it's a complete um, effort from the entire community. And, and when I'm talking about our partners too, these are partners who actually had regular jobs as well beforehand, and they've left those jobs to be able to focus on providing for people. So it is, it's the only way because there's no other option for them. It's not like, you know, if this doesn't work out, then, you know, it's, you know, maybe something better can come along. No, it's either you're occupied under this incredibly oppressive um, regime or it's death. There's no other option. So you've just seen this galvanization of this country to fight against this massive so-called second largest uh, and most powerful army in the world. Chad Bartz is Director of Operations for Hungry for Life International. He's our guest this half hour. He happens to be back for a short visit back home in BC after months in Ukraine doing some very hard work, as we've been talking about for the last 15 minutes. Uh, Chad, everyone knows, you know, the weather in Ukraine is not unlike the weather in Canada, Canada in many ways, and fall and winter uh, strike me as, you know, obviously it's going to be tough. So you must be looking ahead with trying to figure out what kind of needs you're going to have in the next six months or so. Yeah, it's it's a major, major concern, even from our last trip, um, recognizing that a rocket can hit at any time as we were in areas that were continually under Russian attack and shelling and showing up to where a missile had hit in amongst a residential area and all the people's, you know, their windows are shattered. And again, a lot of a lot of the elderly people are the ones who are still there. So as winter approaches and as, as missiles continue to hit civilian areas, it's, I, I, I don't know what people are going to do outside of them continuing to flee to go, to go west um, for those who are not able to, to heat their homes because I, I don't know how people are going to, to, to make it. It's, it's, uh, there's so many people left, but there's so many people who have stayed behind and you never know if a gas line is going to get hit and there's going to be no heat to provide for for people so it's i i really don't know how it's going to go we have seen such a large amount of people already moving out of areas that are near the conflict but as we i can attest to myself of just being there there are a lot of people women children who are still in areas that are under bombardment that have nothing across their windows and you can survive during this time but when that winter month comes, I, I don't know what other options they have outside of providing a heated bomb shelter for people to be in or being able to come out west and being hosted by people. But again, the West is, has absorbed so much already. So we don't have an exact answer for the situation because we've gone to how many places where their roofs are completely destroyed and they have tarps over them just to... Um, just to be able to make do from the elements for now. But what about when winter comes? Where, where do people go then? So 
Um, yeah, I, I don't have the exact answer for it. It's something that we continue to think through and work through, but it, it is the reality that, that winter is going to be extremely harsh for Ukrainians this year. I'm sure there have been a lot of people back home who've been supporting you, though, and a lot of people in a lot of places who've been supporting the work that you're doing. And I guess this is not time for that support to stop, right? I mean, it's it's easy. We were talking about donor fatigue, eyes turning away a little bit from this conflict as it continues, I gather. As you well know, the needs are no less uh, urgent now than they were as when we first spoke. Yeah, I, I actually I really appreciate the, the question because it gives me an opportunity to actually let the public know and Canadians know specifically how many places that we've gone front up front lines, destroyed homes, atrocities that have happened that I can't describe here, that people know how they are being supported by those outside of the country. And when I share that I'm Canadian, how grateful they are and they all want me to convey to people how grateful for they, they are that those back home have contributed towards them. They wouldn't be, and they've told this to me, and I've not prompted them to say this. I've been hearing this from so many different places I've gone to across the country, that they know that they would not be in the position of still being in a free country without the support from the West and from Canadians specifically. So are the needs continually great? Yes, we need the opportunity to continue to respond to whatever the needs are. And so I, I'm, I'm not saying it to raise funds. I'm just saying it that if people still want an opportunity to contribute to help those who are in such a desperate, desperate situation six months in, that there are still ways to be able to, you know, to, to do that. But I, I want to make sure that I validate and thank those who have contributed um, all this for this time, whether it was at the beginning, middle, or even the last month, I, I am so grateful for that because I can see it. I've been there and I'm, I'm thanking you on behalf of people who have received your help. And I gather you're heading back, right? You will be going back. Yeah, we've, we've realized that this is this first six months were an absolute sprint for us. And this is, uh, we we're preparing more for the marathon. Um, and for us ourselves to, be able to be a part of this marathon, we, we need to get some rest, uh, emotional and physical ourselves. Um, I don't want this to make this about, about us, but uh, I, I don't know how I can convey it properly about the amount of what we've seen and what we've heard. And we've not had really much time to be able to care for ourselves because we've been so busy caring for the needs of people. And so for this brief time, um, we, we need to rejuvenate ourselves. We have everything in place to, to continue as we're, we're gone because we've got so many people in place. We have that all set up. But for us as a, as a family, uh, we, we really need to take this time to, to heal so that we can continue to be effective in, uh, for, this, for, this long, um, for this long marathon. Chad Martz, uh, welcome home. I hope you get the rest that you need. Thank you so much for sharing more about what you've been doing uh, and what you have planned for the future. I appreciate it. Yeah, again, thanks for the opportunity to share and so grateful for the platform for Canadian people. I I can't thank uh, people enough for what they've done. Continue to stand with Ukraine. Continue to stand with them. Chad, thanks again. All right. Thanks so much.
Chad Martz is Director of Operations for Hungry for Life International, describing the sort of work that his organization has been doing on the ground in Ukraine for the past six months. He now calls this a marathon after the end of the sprint. That gives you an idea of just how much more work has to be done. When we come back, war can be complicated and dangerous for any journalist, not just the threat of being caught in the crossfire of an attack, but getting around is fraught. So what has war been like for reporters on the ground? Find out after this.